uh, you know, you you see so many of the same problems. You know, the um, we were in the prayer. I was in the prayer and counseling team uh, in both Zimbabwe and Guatemala, and you find so many of the same issues: the um, abuse, the abandonment, the neglect, the uh, mistreatment. You know, you have women coming there saying, "I was raped. I was molested. I was, you know." My husband beat on me, you know, I was orphaned, you know, I had to raise myself, this and that. And uh, one of the things the Lord showed me was that um, in Second Corinthians in chapter 1, you don't have to turn there because that's, that's not what I want to go to today, but that God, okay, well, let's go there. Second Corinthians in chapter 1. Second Corinthians in chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter... One and verse eight, starting at verse eight. Uh, there are a lot of people in there who felt as if, you know, in these simply impossible situations, it's like, well, why did God allow this to happen to me? Why did he allow me to be homeless? Why did he allow me to go through this these beatings? Why did he allow me to be, uh, you know, molested or raped or this or that? Why did I go through all this struggle, and all this trauma, all these problems? You know, they're crying, they <clears throat> feel a sense of hopelessness, suicidal, want to die, and so on. And I said, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he says, For we would not have you ignorant, brothers, of our trouble that came to us in Asia, that we were pressed beyond measure, beyond strength, so that we even despaired of life. He says, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. But why? Why? So you see, that's the situation that we find ourselves in a lot of times. We find ourselves overwhelmed. We find ourselves put in situations that we're oppressed beyond measure. We're, 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 we've got a burden on us that's beyond our strength. We're catching it from every side. We're getting it from all over. It seems like there's just, it's a hopeless, impossible situation. And it's not like somebody woke up woke up yesterday and said, well, hey, I, I think I'll grow up being abused or I'll grow up, I, you know, I would like to wake up to no food in the refrigerator or no, uh, you know, these difficulties on my job. You know, I wake up and I want that. No, nobody wakes up and says that they want that. Nobody wakes up and says that they want those problems. But why does it happen? The question is, and that's and, and this is what is going to sober up our minds about the difficulties and trials that God brings into our life. He says, we were pressed beyond measure, beyond strength, so that we even despaired of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Why? That we would trust not in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You see, that's, that's why God puts us in these situations. And so that way we would learn to trust in him and not in ourselves. He, he, you know, the people who always used to tell us, you know, back in, you know, back in the day, oh, you know, the Lord will never give you more than your ability to bear. Your Lord will never give you more than the ability to bear. That's not Bible. That's not the Bible. The Bible says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to bear. But never said that he won't give you trials and burdens that are beyond your ability to bear. He never said that. In fact, he will give you trials and burdens uh, beyond your ability to bear. Why? So that you and I would learn to stop trusting in our own ability and trust in his ability. 
And then that's why he says, trust in him who raised the dead. The worst thing that can happen to somebody is death. That's the worst thing that can happen to somebody in this world. If God is able to raise the dead, then he's able to solve all our other problems too. And that's the point there. God is able to solve our problems. But again, the problems that God is going to solve for us are not the problems that we create because we're being disobedient. You see, the Bible talks about purpose and focus. It's like this is, and this is, this takes us back to, oh, well, so anyway, so this was the verse that I had used with, um, with, with those patients that were coming in to see us, you know, in the prayer and counseling um, area is that God has a specific plan for you. If you're not born again, if you're, if you're unsaved, it applies to both unsaved and saved. If you're unsaved, God is allowing you to go through this, to be born into this situation, to be born into this place. Why? So you could repent of your sin, go down in water in the name of Yeshua and be born again. If you are saved, if you're born again, then God allows us to go into these situations to strengthen our trust in him so we can go further and further and further in him because we are a people who God has created to be independence upon him. And when creatures of his are not in a state of dependence upon him, then it's sin. We are acting like Satan. Satan, the reason why the devil is the devil is because he stopped wanting to be dependent upon God. And he wanted to be independent and do his own will. And when we do the same thing, we have the same outcome. We end up like the devil and we end up cast out of God's presence. And so this is why this is why you why so many of us struggle with so many things, depression, uh, unhappiness, misery, sadness. And, you know, why we have all these other anxiety issues and I have to take all this medicine and all this stuff because we've been cast that we're out of the presence of God. The Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. So there's no way that you and I could be in the be in the presence of God and not have joy. We can't be in his presence and be miserable, be anxious, be uh, fearful, untrusting, and so on, because in his presence is fullness of joy. And so these are just some of the things that I was just sharing with them. Um, the story of Joseph, the same thing, you know, what men meant for evil, God meant for good. And uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, also, he says that there were, were the people who were chosen by God were not the noble, not many wise, not many noble, not many uh, of, of the great men of the world. But the Bible says God, he chose the despised, the rejected, the debased to shame the strong. Those are the ones he chose. God went to the back of the line to give salvation to those, to those of us who are in the back of the line. Those of us who are at the bottom of life, those of us who are debased, rejected, despised. Salvation is for us. God has chosen us for salvation. And so... These are just some of the things to help people understand why they're going through what they're going through. Either way is because God wants us to be entirely dependent upon him. And that is salvation and that is sanctification by God. Amen. Um, I want to talk, I want to work on uh, Hebrews in chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews in chapter 10. Hebrews in chapter 10, I feel like there are so many of us who are not living out our full potential because we do not understand, for one, God's purpose for our lives, and we don't understand what salvation in Christ really means. 
I think in the West, Christianity, uh, the, the faith of Christ has just become a cultural thing. It's just a cultural staple, but it's not translating into reality in our lives because if it were, then we would live our lives completely differently. Not that we would be uh, oh, uh, having to be doing something every day or having to go do this particular work or that particular work. It wouldn't be that. It would be the fact that we would have the grace of God with power on our lives, and it will be evident by the fruit that we produce. You see, this is why Jesus says, out of him, the person who believes in him, the person who genuinely believes in him, he says, out of him, out of that body, shall flow rivers of living water. Rivers, not droplets, rivers. And there's a whole world of difference between rivers of living water flowing out of you Versus somebody having to work to pump a well. See, somebody trying to pump water out of a well, they have to work at that. They're pumping, they're pumping, they're gritting their teeth. They're hurt. It's such a hard job. Oh, it's such a hard task. I've got to, I've got to endure. Oh, I'm this and that. It's a struggle, but it's completely different when the Holy Ghost is flowing out of you like rivers of living water, where the Bible says you're like in, in Hebrews, you're a life-giving spirit. Where everywhere you go, the Holy Ghost is just flowing out of you. The power of God is flowing out of you. People can feel it. People can see it. And you're not doing, you're not having to make something happen. You're not having to force. You're not having to grab. You're not having to do any of that. Because the Holy Ghost is flowing out of you to do the works. It's like the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works that no man should boast, but for God created us in Christ to do good works. So the good works that God already has prepared for you and me to do will be flowing out of us. Opportunities will be coming to us more and more. We'll be experiencing the grace of God, which first and foremost gives us victory over sin and then gives us the ability to accomplish his will. See, that's what the grace of God is. Folks have made a mistake in thinking that the grace of God is just something that lets me sin and get forgiveness. That's not what grace is. If anything, the Bible describes that in Jude as licentiousness. He says, he said, they've turned the grace of God into licentiousness. That is a license to sin, a license to do wrong. Lord, I, I keep, I, I get in this cycle. I fall into sin. Oh, I'll just ask God for forgiveness. And I fall into sin again. I ask God for forgiveness. I fall into the same sin over and over and over and over again. And and then I want to go to God for forgiveness. But that's not what grace is. And you say that, oh, that's grace. Look at the grace of God is on me. Oh, thank God for his grace and mercy. And da, 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 da. That's not grace. Grace is the, is the Bible says in Romans chapter six, verse eight, he says, sin shall not have dominion over you for you are no longer under law, but under grace. So if I am under grace, that means that sin is not having dominion over me. It does not rule me. It does not have power over my life if I'm under grace. And if I'm getting grace, it's because I'm humbling myself under God and under his plan for my life. Hear what I just said there. If I am getting the grace of God, if any of us are, it is because we are humbling ourselves under the plan of God for our life. We're not asking God to bless what we're doing. We want to do what God is doing. 
We're not asking God to be a part of what I'm doing. We're saying, God, please let me be a part of what you're doing. I'm not saying, Lord, I've got this idea, that idea, blah, 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 and I want to execute. No, Lord, you're saying, Lord, what is your plan for me? And that's what I want to execute. Is this idea I have from you? And if it's from you, then I want to do it because that is humbling yourself under the plan of God. God has a plan for each and every one of us. But we struggle and struggle and struggle and live such dysfunctional, unfruitful lives because we are so hell bent on doing what we want to do and living out our own way, thinking that somehow it's going to work out. But the Bible says in Proverbs, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. We notice some of us notice, why is it that everything I do dies? Why is it everything I touch fails? How come it never works out? How come none of my relationships work out? How come I'm always, how come I'm, I'm going to this job, end up having to quit, go to this job, end up quitting, go to this, do this, do that, do the other. And it all fails. Why? Because you're not in the plan of God. See, God will only bless his plan. Folks want to, uh, you know, say, oh, well, I got faith for this. I've got faith for that. I've got faith for the other. But the bottom line is you can't have faith for something that God didn't promise. And you can't have faith for something that's not God's will. You know, I'm not believing God for this brand new $15,000, car that you don't have the money to pay for. And God is not going to bless you with that. And then you take out a loan and drown yourself in debt and want to glorify God and say, oh, God did it. No, you did it. The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and there is no sorrow added to it. So the plan and purpose of God, in order for us to get the blessing of God, We've got to enter into the plan and program of God, which begins first and foremost with separation. The children of Israel, and I'm going to get to this passage in a second. I'm just a little a fool this morning, I guess. <laughs> I missed y'all. <laughs> the plan and program of God begins first and foremost with separation. Separation from the world. The children of Israel could not even touch the promised land until they left Egypt. They could not get to Canaan without first leaving Egypt. And our Egypt is a picture of the world with the people, places, and things that we used to do and who we used to hang out with. That's our Egypt, the sin. We can't enter into the promised land without separating from that. And some of us want the promised land while still holding on to Egypt. It doesn't work like that. There has to be a complete separation. Notice the first words of Jesus Christ. Now, Yeshua, Mashiach, I bet you haven't seen this before in your life. In Hebrews in chapter 10, in verse, uh, in verse 3, uh, ver, I'm sorry, yeah, verse, um, yeah, starting at verse 3. Verse 5, you'll see, are the, is the very first words of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, once he entered into the world and was able to speak. Y'all probably never saw that. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse three, but in those sacrifices, there is again a remainder of sins every year for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Verse five, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, first thing, when he come into the world, that's his introduction to the world. When he came into the world, he said, you did not want sacrifice and offering but you have prepared a body for me. You have had no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Then I said, behold, I have come 
in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do my will. No, to do your will. Oh, God, you see, this is in. Oh, God. That's that's the statement of purpose. That's the state. That's his whole statement of purpose. I have come in this world. I am here in this world not to do works, not to do my will, not to follow my plan, not to do what I want, not to go my own way. I have come into this world, Lord. I have come to do your will, oh God. And that is what God is. God wants of us. God does not want our works. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. That's the Paul's message to the Athenians. God, is, God does not need humans. He does not. Even the, even the word is not for us. The Bible isn't for God. It's for us. His commands are not for him. God is not made better if we obey, and he's not made worse if we disobey. The word of God is not for him. His commands are for us. And so when we obey it's the blessing for us. So God does not need our works. He does not need that because he's not served by human hands. Instead, what God wants is a body, a body that is prepared to do what he wants. Did you catch that? He wants a body that is prepared to do what he wants. And what's the problem with being fixated on a particular work? The problem is, is that if God tells you to do something different, if your body is not prepared to do his will, you'll go against him to do that work and then say, oh, I'm doing it for God. God told you to, uh, you're, you're, a, you know, you're a builder, you're an engineer or whatever. God tells you to stop doing that. And go overseas, you know, like say, for example, you got a, a job, is any particular job in engineering or something like that, and you're making great money. The Lord tells you, quit that job and go overseas to this developing world country, and I want you to build wells, or I want you to build this or build that. If you're fixated on doing a particular work, you're not going to obey God and leave. Anything that God tells you to do, you will not do if you're fixated on a particular work. See, and that's what God does not want. God does not want us focused on doing a particular work. God wants us focused on doing whatever he wants, when he wants, and then the works will follow. He will do the works. That's what Jesus teaches us. He says, my father in me, it is he who does the works. He will do the works. He has prepared works in advance for you and me to do. But the bottom line is that God wants us. He wants us. He wants us. He wants you and me. It's a relationship thing. You see, we're, our relationship with God is not a, a utilitarian relationship where we're using God as a, some genie in a lamp. or He's a blessing machine and we're the receivers. And we, we're, 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 it's, a, it's, it's an exchange, this for that. No, it's not that. God wants our life. And this is why the Bible says in Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 9. He says, when I called you out of uh, Egypt, I didn't demand that you give me sacrifices and burnt offerings. I didn't command you concerning that. He said, but this is what I did command. I said, obey my voice. Obey my voice and you will be my children, says the Lord. You see, that's what God wants for us. 
He wants us to be prepared to do whatever he wants when he wants. Yeshua traveled hundreds of miles to 